0: We want to be challenged. We want to gain understanding uh, insight. I want you to speak to us tonight I pray that your Holy Spirit, that he would speak, that he would lead, he would guide. And I pray, I do a prayer for revelation tonight and I pray for our understanding. Um, have your way, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen Jesus. All right, so we have Bibles, so, uh, did you hand me one? I'll give it up if I have to. Uh, That'll be easier to Okay, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2.
1: Hebrews 12... with, since we are surrounded by such a great lot of witnesses, uh, if you go back into chapter 11, what
0: you have there is the uh, Faith Hall of Fame, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And that's uh, just a listing of people that live by faith, and how important that was to God. And the reason they're all listed there is because that's super important. Uh, God requires faith, and He requires us to have faith toward Him. That our relationship with him is not based on uh, works, it's not based on how good we are, it's not based on morals, it's not based on any of the things, any traditional things, that people really think it is. Uh, And and so those traditional things are promoted by the church. Uh, Anything, anything to substitute for real faith. Right? Anything. Because that's what people have a hard time believing. People have a hard time exercising real faith. People have a hard
1: time actually... and living in faith and so we come up with alternatives and by we I mean human beings
0: we come up with alternatives to real faith Uh, whether it be works uh, you do good things or morals be a good person or uh, whatever and so we're going to come up with whatever we need to come up with and yet you look at this uh, this passage it's kind of interesting some of the people that are mentioned And I'm not going to go through uh, all of them, but my name is mentioned in here. So I I will, of course, uh, point that out. Uh, It says that Abel, verse 4 of chapter 11, brought God a better offering than Cain. So by faith he was commended as righteous. He he was righteous because of faith. Uh, God spoke well of his offering. By faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch <laughs> was taken from this life so they did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Now, uh, kind of an interesting side note to that is that in the book of Revelation there are uh, the two people called the two faithful witnesses and they're supposedly going to come back, uh, well not supposedly, the Bible says they're going to come back and uh, and they're going to bear witness and prophesy in Jerusalem. And they'll eventually be killed. They'll be, I think, beheaded, if I'm not mistaken. They first,
2: because they didn't die the first time. Because <laughs> they didn't die. So some people believe
0: that the two faithful witnesses are Elijah, who was taken up in a chariot. And we don't think, he didn't die, it didn't look like he up in a chariot, and Enoch, who was just taken to be with the Lord, and he didn't die, and so they will be sent back, and they will experience physical death like everybody else, but as the two faithful witnesses, as they prophesied. Yes. So that's a little interesting side note. They get beheaded? Yeah, I think they get their heads cut off going to go out. Well. It's true. I mean, I have my name Ina, <laughs> on the back of my neck written mm-hmm. there in Chinese, just in
1: case. Okay, it's well, no you know. still me. You can identify my body. <laughs> know, peanut peanut. And Mrs. Peanut. and Faith, Hope, and Love, and Arabic.
0: Right. Just in case. Yes. I'm covering I'm covering yes. Yes. just again There are because there's been at least three people three that I've known that think that I'm one of the
1: two faithful witnesses. Uh, which I don't believe. <laughs> 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 at all. One of those people that also believe the that they were the other <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe not a strong Credential. Yeah. Your yeah. yeah. name they're wasn't Elijah, however. No. <laughs> so, no. no. So his name was not
2: Elijah. No. Oh my God. You should get Andy scrolled at the
0: bottom of your foot. Andy. <laughs> the and yeah. so, so, all right. So then we have um, then we have Noah. And mention Abraham. I don't know that Abraham was really a very moral person. If you mm-hmm. think about it. I have my wife. I don't know that Noah was necessarily a very moral person either. Uh, Abraham uh, he had some issues just kinda of, kinda of protecting his own cheese. He was willing to hand his wife over to be to have sex with other rulers and stuff so that they would leave him alone by saying that she was his sister to protect himself. Um, you know, whatever. And then you got uh, Isaac and Jacob. Now Jacob wasn't a very moral person. So uh, Sarah, who questioned God and laughed when God was speaking to Abraham about having children, or the angel was speaking to Abraham about having children. Never uh, living by faith. Um, uh, yeah, Abraham did, though, show a lot of faith by offering his son, when he was called to, Isaac. Yeah, so, yeah, that was good. Joseph's sons were blessed. Uh, Moses' parents are mentioned here, who we know nothing about. By faith, Moses' parents, uh, he him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but instead chose to be mistreated. Uh, People of Israel passed through the Red Sea by faith. We know that they weren't necessarily very spiritual or moral people. They were grumblers. Now, here's a good one. Verse 31 by faith and she's, she's actually identified in verse 31 the prostitute Rahab <laughs> not a moral person alright so. just not <laughs> alright so I, the only reason I'm going through these and I want you to think about this I, and, and she's she's the one I'll stop at there's others that are mentioned here but this is what's important to God And this is what I was trying to get at with this. Faith is the issue. Faith is the fundamental issue with God. And when you hear people teaching and preaching on other stuff, even me, you've got to keep in mind that, yeah, there are other things involved in our relationship with God. There are other things that have value and have weight. But the issue, the most important issue, the thing that God looks for is faith. It's faith. I don't know if you remember, I was talking I was talking about the thief on the cross, mm-hmm. kind of my go-to. You yeah, he's my go-to guy when it comes to people arguing about stupid stuff. Like people are arguing, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, you have to say the Lord, you have to say the sinner's prayer to be saved. No, you don't. Uh, well, you have to repent of all your sins. No, you don't. Well, you, you have to, uh, I mean, Anything. Just name it off. Just go. See, my go-to guy is the thief on the cross. The malefactor. Because he's the guy that he didn't have any of those things. He didn't do anything. (laughs) He expressed a faith in Jesus. That was it. That was all. It wasn't... I mean, you start to look at all the conditions people want to put on salvation, all the conditions people want to put on being a Christian, all the conditions people want to put on knowing God or going to heaven or whatever you want to say or however you want to put it. All these people have all these conditions, but your go-to guy is always the malefactor, always the thief on the cross. And the reason it's the thief on the cross is because he didn't do anything. Now, if read the story... Now I was telling the youth this stuff one time, a few weeks ago, and I was talking to them about the thief on the cross, and like that's my go-to guy. And they and afterwards, at least two of them, maybe three of them, came up to ask me where the verses were about that. Because those are all issues that they had struggled with and people had talked to them about before and they didn't have any answers for. It. And and these kids aren't really Christians. Alright? And so, somehow, some way, they're getting all this misinformation and all this stuff, and we need to take that seriously as a church, that we need to give out the right information. Alright? Because I'm not... Why are we adding burden onto salvation? Why? Well, you have to be baptized. You know? I mean, just adding burden on top of whatever it is. We, we want people to get saved, right? God wills that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, all right? In other words, God wills that people should come around to know him and all that. So, I'm looking at that like, all right, well, let's not add burden on top of burden. Because thief on the cross was, you you remember what he did? Jesus, these two guys are hanging there on the cross, and the one guy, the one malefactor, he says, hey, if you're the son of God like you say you are, why don't you just jump off the cross? Why are you still up here with us? In other words, questioning whether or not he was really the Son of God. And the other guy said, hey, don't you have any respect whatsoever? This man, he did good. All he did was all good. We're up here because we're evil. We're sinners. We're robbers or whatever we are. We're malefactors. At least show the guy some respect. All he did was good stuff. And Jesus' response to that, now does that sound like any sinner's prayer you really ever heard before? No. So Jesus' response to that said, oh, well, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. That was enough. How much was that? I don't know.
1: He didn't say the
0: words. He didn't say the words. He didn't get, he didn't, he didn't get baptized. Right? He wasn't necessarily, not. he didn't have a chance to be a moral person. He was a malefactor. He was dying the death of a criminal because... He was a criminal. He was a convicted criminal. Alright? So, you you look at that, and it's like, okay, well... And people will say, well, that's the exception, not the rule. Why? Exception to what? Your rules? Whose rules? I don't even know. And so you look at verses like... You look at passages like Hebrews 11. Seems like the rule... Is that, to me, the prostitute Rahab is counted as righteous because of her faith. All right, she's a prostitute. Now, find me any Christian that will count any prostitute righteous. Anyone. Anyone. None. Zero. Nobody's looking at them. Oh, she's got a heart of gold. <laughs> Righteous in all her ways. No, she's a prostitute, okay? That is not a righteous way to make a living. It's sinful. At least by any standard I understand. And yet, by faith, she was considered righteous by God. Now, what does that say about our standards of righteousness then? What would that challenge in us? Whose side do you want to be on on the Rahab question? (laughs) I mean, seriously, who do you want to be on on that side? Do you want to be a person standing back and by your judgment of righteousness saying she's not righteous? Or do you want to agree with God that by her faith, she is righteous? You see what I'm saying the problem is? Do you understand the issue the problem here? The problem is bigger than us, the problem is bigger than you, the problem is bigger than your church, or your former church, or or whoever it is that instilled you with ideas, or or those kind of things, it's bigger than that, it's a human problem, and if anyone's going to bear a standard of grace, bear a standard of faith, bear a standard of what real righteousness is, it has to be us. Even if people look at us and tell us we're wrong to our face, that's happened to me many, 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 many times. It's going to happen to me more. It'll happen to me many more times in my life. Or people will be like, no, you're wrong. That, that's not right. Oh, no, you're, you're you're playing with fire there, brother. Yeah. Yeah. All that. And then I've heard it, and I'll hear it again. Is this the way it is? we are the standard bearers of what's true so you look at this it's like okay Rahab all right there she is and then you got Gideon, Barrett, Samson, Jephthah,
1: David David wasn't really a moral dude he, he killed tens of thousands of people
0: tens of thousands you say oh well that was in war and oh, not Uriah there's a murder Yeah, so, I mean, he was not a moral person, David was not a moral person, but he was a man after God's own heart, and God loved him. If you ever want to really, I mean, uh, there's a book that I've I've read, I think twice, and it molded, and I haven't read read it since, but I think I have it on my Kindle now. It's called The Life of David by A.W. Pink. It's like this thick, in in real form, all right? And all it does is go through the life of David. That book changed my whole perspective on David, God, and God dealing with people in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. just changed, changed the way I saw it. There's a smaller one by A.W. Pink called Elijah, which was awesome too, but that one molded too. But as I, I looked at and you know, I remember reading those, and you look at these men, they weren't particularly moral. They weren't particularly righteous by our standards, and yet, God loved them, God used them, God God protected them, God took care of them, God provided for them. And, and, you know, you look at that, that that was even under an old covenant, that was under an old agreement, and God showed that kind of mercy and grace toward those guys. Then, how much mercy and grace is He showing us? We're not accepting. That we're not even looking at because we can't think it's possible that he could feel that way toward us. And yet he does. So so by this great cloud of witnesses, all right, that's Hebrews eleven. That's the cloud of witnesses. And he goes into. He says, "Let us throw off everything that hinders uh, and the sin that so easily entangles." Let us run with perseverance the race marked out. Alright, so here's a shift that takes place. And it's a, it's kind of a, it's a word picture. The Bible is full of word pictures. Alright, but we don't understand them because we don't get the culture and we don't get the language. And so what happens here is there's a shift and you've got this great cloud of witnesses. And what I want you to see it is like a big crowd of people. In a stadium, because the shift that's about to take place here is that then he then the author of Hebrew shifts the focus back to us and begins to describe us as an athlete, uh, either a a, uh, a gladiator, which he starts off with, or a runner, and he has to put ourselves and he begins to describe what looks like a big stadium where people would watch gladiators or a big stadium where people would watch runners. They would watch the games, the Olympics or whatever it would be, the games that were going on then. And so we have this great cloud of witnesses. In other words, all of these people, this big crowd of people in this stadium and they're looking and they're watching us. And what this verse says, and this is the shift in it, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded you see that word surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses? In other words, this crowd of people surrounds us like in a, an arena, is what it is. And we are surrounded by this crowd of people, these witnesses in this arena. What's a witness?
2: Someone who watches or someone who something, can, bear
0: something. can bear testimony. Okay. okay? So we got all these people around us. He says, let us, and here's the first picture, throw off everything that hinders and sin so which easily entangles. And so what that's a picture of is they used to wear like a gladiator or a Roman soldier would wear their sword and they'd have a shield, but then they'd have a cloak. And so if they wanted to use their sword, they would need to discard their cloak so that it wouldn't, I mean, no offense Patrick, but they'd have to discard the cloak <laughs> so that they would be able to be, they would have to pull the sword. But if you didn't discard the cloak, then you've got all this fabric and you're trying to pull the sword, you get entangled. You can't get entangled. Or you're trying to move. And if you want to try to move laterally or backwards, let's say you step on your cape. Alright, that's an entanglement. Or it wraps around one of your legs or it gets wrapped around your arm. And so what this verse is, the the picture that you see here, is you're throwing off the cape so you can get to your weapons. You're freeing up so you can fight, so you can move. You can shuck and jive a little bit, all right? And fight like you're supposed to, whether you be a wrestler or whether you be a, a gladiator, whatever game that you're a part of, that athlete, whatever that you're doing, you need to get rid of the excess garments so that you can move and
1: do what you need to do. All right, so that, that's the first descriptor. Then the next word picture,
0: it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so then we get to verse 2. Here it is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down
1: at the right hand of the throne of God. So it starts off with this idea of uh, of fixing our eyes. So So here we are. We're in the arena. We're in the arena. And either we're going to wrestle,
0: we're going to fight, we're going to gladiate, or mm-hmm. uh, we're going we're gonna to run. But we're, we're participating in the games. We have a crowd of people around us that we can look at. And we
1: say, "Oh, hey, they did it! They did it! They did it! They they went through it." Oh, they look at they're they're over there.
0: Whoever it is, whether it be Abraham or it was Isaac or Rahab's over there, and she went through this. All right, by faith. And so we've got all these people surrounding us that we know competed in the same games that we're competing in right now. And they're they're looking at us. And so we're given instructions. Throw
1: up anything that's going to entangle you, whatever that is. Even if it's your favorite cloak. Even if it's your
0: favorite jacket. Even if it's your favorite shirt. If it's going to hinder you, it's going to entangle you. You've got to get rid of it. And then you look and you say, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to do? You get a hold of that. You get a vision for that. And then what it says here is that, that we fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, this is a this is kind of a weird phrase. We don't really have a phrase for this in English. And so it is, it's kind of a, a, a weird thing. And what it means is that literally we're looking off from other things. Alright? And so the idea behind this is that all of the other things going on around us. It gives us instructions like we got the cloud of witnesses around us. We've got the race before us. We, we, we understand where we're headed, what we're doing. We understand who's around us, who's been through it. We're encouraged by that. We know it's possible. We know that God can get us through. And he says, stop looking at everything
1: else. In other words, you're, you're going you're gonna to look off other things. In other words... Whatever's around you, whatever's going on to the side, whatever
0: distractions are, shiny things, bright objects, flashing objects, whatever's going on
1: around you, don't look at those. And that's what this, this verb is talking about. But it's,
0: it's looking away from other things, like physically looking away. In other words, this is an act of your will. We usually only look at this in one way. It says to fix your eyes on Jesus. But what... The, the verse really describes us making a choice not to look at other things. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to see that. I'm going to, no, I'm not going to pay attention to that. And making those kinds of decisions in our life. Not just focusing one thing, but also actively unfocusing on other things. So we're really talking about a singular point that we're looking at, and that would be Jesus. So we look away from everything else to look at Jesus. Why?
1: Because He, it says here, because He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith.
0: Or He is the founder and He is the completer. Of our faith, and and those two words are contrasts. Those are two two, two contrasts. He, is what it says is, he's the one who starts our faith, and he's the one who ends it. He is our faith. He is the bookends, and probably everything in between. All right, Which that usually that that kind of phraseology. You, you, where else you see that in New Testament? He's the beginning, oh, the Alpha and the Omega, meaning he's beginning in, the, in Revelation 1, 1.8, 1, 11 is what refers to that, the Alpha and the Omega. So he is the start, he is the finish, he is the founder, he is the perfector, and that word founder can also be translated as prince, captain, and I'll give you some verses where it is, Acts 3.15, Acts 5.27, Hebrews 2.10 prince or captain it can be translated as or champion so he is the champion of our faith he is the champ the beginning, the end the perfecter, the author and everything he is who we look to by looking away from everything else ok 2 Corinthians 1.20 can somebody look at that I wrote that verse down. And I have no idea what it is. Second Corinthians one twenty. Yeah, it's going to be a surprise for me too. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So through Him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Okay, uh, the reason that this verse, you can look at the couple line in front of it, is uh, so He is the yes and the amen. Alright? So in other words, that's another example of that kind of contrasting bookending of who Christ is in our life, that it's going to start with Him, it's going to end with Him, but it also consists of Him. In other words, what what promises do we have? Well, they're founded in Him. What understandings
1: do we have? What what things do we count on that God's going to do
0: in faith? Well, He started that. He ends it. In other words, he says yes, and let it be so, and he's everything in between. Yes and amen. The yes and the amen. So it, our, our our promises that we're going to live in, or the, the words that we're going to believe, are him. They consist in him. So, uh, so we have the champion. We have the champion of our faith. And we're told to fix our eyes on Him. Because there, there might be other champions out there. Or supposed champions, I guess. It could be successful people. There could be uh, different definitions of success. I think of that a lot when I think of church building and people building. What is success? And, and how do you... Concentrate on what's important. And, and think about this. Let's say you're a church building.
1: And the world's definition of success when you're a church building is what? Numbers. Numbers, money, buildings. Right? And yet, I, I
0: don't know that that's biblical at all. I don't know if any of that's biblical. And so, can you look at that? And and maintain your focus on, really on what you're trying to do when you're building the church. If you're, if part of you is looking at that other change, like you got a I got a guy over here who's my age who pastors a church of four thousand people. All right. Now, if it's somewhere in my head, that is success. All right. If I allow it to be success in my head, then. What do I see every Sunday when I come here? Ah, Not 4,000 people. I see failure. Right? Like abject failure. (laughs) Like like I'm a super big loser. Alright? Yeah. Well, so I have to, if I'm going to follow after what God has for me, run the race that's set before me, If I'm really going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the beginning and end of my faith, and everything that's in between, the yes and the amen to what he's told me he's going to do, then I have to look away from that definition of success. Or uh, people building, you know, what do disciples look like? Well... The world would have a certain definition of that. There might be some guy over here that has a great definition of that. All right? And everyone regards that guy as the best. And he's writing books and stuff about it. And yet, I look at that, and it doesn't line up with what I believe disciples look like. All right? So, I have to purpose... Because if I, if I let that even influence what my definition of, su- of success is or disciple-making is, then I'm going to look at what I'm doing and, again, I'm an abject failure. Loser. And that's part of the problem in the body of Christ is, is that kind of... Uh, you, we're not singly looking at what Jesus has for us, but we're looking at what other people have or what other people have done or their definition or whatever they're doing and that's a huge problem because chances are that's not going to look like anything what God wants to do through us through me through you and uh, one of the things that I I believe has helped me over the years is there's a huge part of me that I just don't care Hmm. there seriously is and I care at some moments or whatever, things sneak up on me. But in general, over the years, I've been able to maintain myself at a certain place that I'm just going to do what God's called me to do and I'm not going to worry about it. Because yeah, worrying about it didn't do anything anyway. And there have been times over the years where I've let somebody else's vision of success creep in, and it's just been a huge distraction. A huge distraction from what God wanted to do
1: in the first place. Somebody else's vision of what disciples look like. Huge distraction from what I should have been doing. And in every circumstance, in every case where that happens, I know I always have to get
0: back to what I know I know that I know. That's it. And so I make a decision to not look. I make a decision to not take that in. I make a decision to not let that influence me. I make a decision to not look over there. To not look over there. And not to hear the other things
1: that are going on around. Because I have to fix my eyes on the champ.
0: Because the champ is really the one who's done it. Alright? Because if I was going to be distracted, wouldn't it be by Abraham? Or David? Or even Rahab? All right, or, or, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Abel, would I, would I rather be distracted by one of those guys in the crowd? Because, I mean, they made it through. I'd rather be distracted by one of them than some some joker I got up the road here. <laughs> well, I don't even know if knows or anybody knows what's going on. I don't know. I don't care. So, if I'm going to be distracted, I hope it would be somebody in the arena I'm in. And yet we're distracted by people not even in the arena. I mean, way somewhere else are distracting us. we're way out of bounds with that. So, so we have a champ. Let's look at the champ real quick. Uh, Psalm 68, verse 18. 68, and if you read Psalm 68, you got this song uh, that, I mean, this is David, this is David all the way, alright, and so he starts off, he says, in verse 1, he says, may God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him, may you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. All right, that's how it starts off. It's a pretty kick-ass song, actually. <laughs> yeah. to think about it. All right, so we go down. So we go down to verse 18. Now, verse 17 says, The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. In other words, David recognizes the God he serves. He's powerful. And armies were measured, I mean, great armies were measured by chariots. And so by describing God this way, he's like, you've got thousands, or tens of thousands, and thousands of thousands, and you got more chariots than I can count. That's how great you are, that's how great your army is. And he's talking about God, he's talking about the God he serves. And he recognizes and worships God as a strong, mighty God who has a great, mighty army. In other words, whose side do you want to be on? God's side. And when you're on God's side and you know God's looking out for you, what does that say about your back up? Good. You're good. Alright, you got somebody watching your back that is able to do
1: that. Alright, and he knew that. David understood that. So, he, he talks about that. So, verse 17.
0: Cheers to God, are tens of thousands, thousands of thousands, the Lord has come from Sinai into a sanctuary. Verse 18, when you ascend on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. What does that verse mean? I want you to think about what that verse means. There's 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 a couple powerful things in that verse. It says that he went from Sinai into his sanctuary. What is Mount Sinai? Uh, word the Ten Commandments. Alright, so what is the what, do you, what would you think is the significance of Mount Sinai then? You've the
1: Ten Commandments, you've got... Uh, that's the place where Moses met with God, that's where God met his people. Right? Yep. And also where uh, they built a golden calf and they danced around it and they worshipped the golden calf. Right?
0: And that happened to Sinai? Yeah. Uh, There's a couple things, you know, with Sinai that it was definitely an assembling place. It was definitely a place that people looked up on the mountain and they knew God was there. Of course, it didn't change what they were doing. Alright, once Moses was up there for, for 40 days or however long he was up there, and they said, well, he's not coming back. Let's build a calf. Let's make a calf. So they took off all their earrings. They melted them down, and they, they made a calf. Good reason not to take off your earrings. Right there. <laughs> anyway, so they made a calf, melted down, made a calf, and they worshipped it. And, and it wasn't just like outliers doing that, like out on the edge of the camp. It was Aaron. <laughs> he was the high priest. <laughs> it was Aaron the high priest. I mean, he's the one that made the calf and fashioned it and was leading the dancing around the idol worship and stuff. That's really weird. Because God was right there. He was right there. He was right on Mount Sinai, lightning flashing and thunderings and and clouds and everything. All right? He was right there. And he was showing himself to Moses. He was talking to Moses. He wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger. (laughs) All right. So Sinai is an interesting place because in one breath it's like the place where God is, you know, to the children of Israel, where he met with them. Not that he lives there all the time, but it was a place of meeting. It was a place of, of, of being with him, of communicating. Of course, it was through Moses. But it was also a place of rebellion, disobedience. It was a number of things. So, this says that God came down from Sinai as an army. The army of God, the chariots, the tens of thousands and thousands of thousands of chariots that God has. They, they descended from Sinai. And that was that, that meeting place. That was the, the Ten Commandments. That was
1: uh, Moses uh, face to butt with God. And, and all that was happening up there, his hinder parts. Face to butt.
0: The well, yeah, he, he, Moses said, I want to see you, God. And, and so God passed by and he showed him his hinder parts. He says. Oh. Yeah, face to butt. <laughs> all right. uh, uh, so all this happened. All right. And so this says that the uh, Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. What's the sanctuary? Would, it, would it be like would it be the ark of the tabernacle? Yeah. So, in other words, the ark, which contained what? Ten Commandments. Okay. Ten Commandments. The staff that budded and... Uh, Moses' staff. Manna. Manna, right. Okay. So, so, they got the ark. He brings the ark into... You know, that was a huge celebration, right? When, when David brought the ark into Jerusalem. And finally put it right in the sanctuary where it belonged and everything. That was a huge celebration. It took some doing, too. They messed that up. Mm-hmm. All right? They messed it up. So so it was very symbolically. you got Sinai. you got the law. you got all that. And then here, here he is bringing him into the temple. So he says, the Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary, symbolically through the ark. All right? but what's the sanctuary a place of worship a sacrifice yeah a place of meeting with god that's the idea behind it okay and then it says when you ascended on high you took many captives what does that mean where do you know this verse from in the new testament anybody know quoted in the New Testament, but okay. Bringing back the captives? Yeah, uh, we'll go there and say it's Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 is where it is in the New Testament, we'll go there in just a second, but in verse 18 it says, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious. Gentiles? Huh?
2: What? Gentiles?
0: Yeah, everybody, everybody. I think it's interesting that they said, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. So, I, I look at this this passage, and, and what it's talking about, this is like, you, you ascended on high. You're the champ. Right? And that's the descriptor here. This is the descriptor, is that when you ascend on high, you're going to the highest place, you're going up on the throne, you're going up to the pinnacle, you're going up to the palace, you're going up to the, you know, wherever it is that you're going to dwell, and and that is the best of the best. You're the champ, you're the victor, you're the prince, you're the captain. You've done it. And so when he ascended on high, he received gifts from people. In other words, people worshipped him. Even from the rebellious. And this is talking about a worship of God that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Where? In the midst of the praises of his people. Even the rebellious. Meaning, can mean the Gentiles. Can mean those that had walked away from their faith those that didn't have any faith up until that point it could be any of those things it could be the disobedient it could be the sinful it could be the people that everybody else gave up on it could be whoever even the rebellious and the Bible says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft but these people these people turned to worship him as he ascended on high in other words as he took his rightful place of victory People worship. Okay, Ephesians four eight. Now keep that in mind. Because remember, David wrote that song. David had had many victories, and many times David had ascended on high, and people had brought him gifts. Kings of the earth had brought him gifts. All right, literally, and and he was established as king over Israel. So he understood what he was talking about here. He's talking about it on a different scale, but he understood. So you got the word picture of that. You see it? Mm-hmm. All right. I gave you a little theology about the Ten Commandments and the Ark and stuff, talking about that. But the real word picture is a victor, a uh, king, captain, prince that is ascending on high, and then people are turning to worship him. Okay, Ephesians 4:8, and see Jesus here. See Jesus in the Old Testament and see Jesus here. This directly relates Jesus to that psalm. you got to understand that. All right, verse 4 of Ephesians 4, There is one body and one spirit,
1: just as you were called as one hope, as you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism,
0: one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it said, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, what's different about that and the verse we read? He's the one giving out. Yeah. Instead of receiving. Yeah. Okay. So what does he, in verse 9, what does he ascend mean except that
1: he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. So you see the
0: championship picture here. You've got Christ
1: who is directly related now to
0: the verse in Psalm, the, the, David, the song that David wrote. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Now, if you read that whole Psalm with Christ in mind, man, there's some powerful stuff in there for us as we live our lives. For us, as we go into the mission field, for us, as we are going to dark places, as we go into places where, you know, we're a little sketchy and stuff like that that God calls us to. But you read that whole psalm, Psalm 68, with Christ in mind. And who we are in Christ, that's a powerful statement as to our backup. That's a powerful statement as to God protecting us and keeping us and being with us. It's a powerful statement. So this one verse here that he quotes, this is a direct, directly relating Christ into that psalm, directly, right? And so it says, each one of us has been given grace as Christ would give it to us, whatever that's going to mean, okay? And then he goes down, that grace has to do with our call, that grace has to do with what God has for us, it has to do with the vision that God gives us, it has to do with who we are in Christ, that's what that grace is, Okay, that's not talking about the grace that we're saved by. That's not apportioned like that. What is apportioned is, you know, who are you going to be, and Christ decides that. What part of the body are you going to take? You know, what place are you going to take in that body? All right? Those are the things he's talking about there. He says, "This is why it says you got to understand that. This is why it says that he descended, he ascended, he took me, kept me. But you, it's kind of funny because he turns it around here, doesn't he?" we're going to worship Him I mean we're going to bring our gifts to Him alright we're going to worship Him but He turns and He gives gifts to us and what's brought out in this passage it's not a direct quote and the reason it's not a direct quote is because it's adding something Yeah, we're going to worship but He's going to give gifts to us because He chooses to because that's His grace and we'll each be apportioned whatever gifts that God gives us that's the grace he's talking about in the verse before that. That's what he's going to do. He's going to give gifts to the church. He's going to give gifts to us as individuals. In particular, here he's talking about the gifts to the church in the form of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, and whoever else and whatever else our role is going to be in the church. That's the portion of grace that he's pouring out through us. So it says that he ascended on high and he took many captives. Why does he ascend except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Now, now, I know the Apostles' Creed says something about this. It says that he went to hell. Alright? And then he came up from hell with people that chose to know him. That chose to accept him. He, he preached to him and he gave him that chance. Now, and there are other verses that would seem to indicate that. This verse doesn't, though. This verse basically says that... How did he ascend into the heavens if he didn't first come to earth? Which he did. So he came down here and he went about the business that he was supposed to do. And says he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's Christ. So now he is all in all. He is by him all things are held together. Through him all things were made. We know that from Colossians. And so we begin to build a Christology of who Christ is now—not of his human, who he was as human being, not of his ministry
1: here, not of him doing everything he did here by the power of the Holy Spirit—but who he is now. He fills the whole universe. Who he is now, he can be in
0: our hearts, and he can be on the throne. Who he is now, he can be in China in somebody's heart. He can be in my heart in the United States. He's everywhere. He fills the whole universe. He's holding all things together. He's creative by His very nature. And so as we worship Him, we're no longer looking at Him as, oh, He's that guy that was a carpenter. And He was that guy. It's important for us to know Him as that guy, but He is filling all in all now. He's huge.
1: And you know what? He's, He's brought us with Him. He's brought us with Him captives captives us Ephesians talks about this earlier on he says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places
0: yeah well he's the champ right so where are we seated with him at where the champ sits where he ascended to that's the the point of Ephesians when he says that, is that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Well, I feel like I'm seated at 512 Westcott in the front of the church. Well, we are. But there is a spiritual reality that we can grasp or not grasp tonight. And how are you going to grasp this spiritual reality? How do you think? Where do we start tonight? Faith. Faith. We'll either do it by faith, or we won't. The reality is, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. The reality is, He's the champ. The reality is, is that He's done everything necessary and led us to that place. And He has apportioned out His gifts, He's apportioned out gifts to the church, through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip people. To equip us in what God has called us to do, what He has for us as a function here to do. But that doesn't change one bit that we're still seated with Him at the top. And so we need to come from that perspective that this this is where we're at. Yeah, we got a job to do here. Yeah, we got people to reach. Yeah, we got stuff we're supposed to do. Yeah, it gets gritty and grimy sometimes, and it's scary sometimes, and the rest of that. But understanding where we are, understanding the reality of our situation, that is grasped by faith. That's why Abraham could be a hundred years old, but he still knew he was going to have a
1: kid. Everything around him told him he couldn't. But where was his gaze fixed? Not on that.
0: Not on the naysayers, not on the people laughing, not even on his wife laughing at him,
1: not even on her.
0: Fixed on the author and perfecter of his faith. You see how he had to shut it out for that to work? Well, if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we're seated with him in heavenly places. Well, we're going to have things come at us every day that tells us that's not true, right? I think. You gotta shut it down. Remember where you're at, and then go from there. Alright? We're being dispatched. We got work to do. Being dispatched. We've got a call. We got a vision for our life. We're being dispatched. We we have to step away from the naysayers and from the people who just don't know what they're talking about. You know, in any other circumstance, what I'm telling you would be psychotic. The reason it's not psychotic is because it's real. It's, it's absolutely real. And so, fighting that, whatever that is. Well, I just believe in what I see. Well, that's not really believing in anything. I believe in what I've experienced. That's not believing really in anything. You're not exercising any faith to do that. You're exercising your memory. You're exercising your senses to see something. You have faith. It's got to be something beyond your senses, something beyond your experience, something beyond what you can actually maybe even grab onto with your hands. That's faith. It's by faith, you're righteous. Any questions about this? Any comments?
2: Any
0: thoughts? Uh,
2: just the comment from Sunday—that new, that family that rolled through—they mm-hmm. specifically commented on the size. Yeah. Well, we're from uh, it's much bigger than this, and it it's like, sounds like there's been a few other Christian-y people that have come through that have commented on that. I don't really think that much of it. But the size? Yeah.
0: Like, what they say? Well, it's much bigger than this. What is The size of the church, how many people, you know, there's, you know, I forget how many thousands they said, yeah. Go to the church they're from. Right. Well, I mean, they probably look at us as losers, because right. we're doing something wrong, obviously, because um, we don't have style. service if I see a lot of new people here I'll make sure to mention I didn't do it uh, the other day but I'll make sure to mention our missionaries mm-hmm. and I'll make sure to mention that we send people that this is part of our vision of who we are uh, and just to let people know it's like not that I didn't prove anything to them but where people are coming from is a weird place not weird but it's just a different place and so maybe what's going on here doesn't make any sense how many churches do you know that have five full-time missionaries? No. In countries. I don't know of any church of 5,000 that has five full-time missionaries. There's usually one, right? Like, a yeah. missionary that they yeah. have. And they may support other missionaries from other places, but they normally yeah. don't. And to go back to uh, what you're saying in uh, Hebrews 12, yeah. uh, surrounded by a great of witnesses, because uh-huh. you're, you're making a point... Um, uh, the, the focus is on Jesus to actively unfocus on other things. Right. So uh, that would apply also to those other faith all-famers, right? Yes. Just to actively unfocus even on what they did. Right. Because in the end it doesn't really matter. Right. Okay. All right, because we're joining them. Mm-hmm. That's the point of us being in the arena. Someone's not looking at you either. It's because we, we need to join them. Mm-hmm. So it's more you're taking your part in the crowd, not that you're looking at the crowd. Right? Okay. Yeah. I, th- I, mean, I think the whole thing, is cause it's been a few weeks now, right? Like, this backdrop of a more primal faith and trying to, like, for us to really get there, because we all have, because we live here in the States, I think most of us have some sort of background or exposure or preconceived ideas, notions, realities, church, Jesus, whatever, you know, that really affects us. Right. And in fact, it's just a simple grasping onto just what's true and real. And so, I, don't know, I, think it's, I think to skip over that would be a mistake if people are hearing that, to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of glaze past that point, because I think there's something really significant in that.
1: Agreed?
2: I like the, um, the breakdown of the arena. I guess I made sense or it was a really cool picture of like seeing it as an arena or a coliseum and we're in that fight so what do we do do we choose to flee or I don't know or we choose to fight as in the faith like uh, like the other people did and like we're part of that crowd and then it's like when we look at Jesus okay he's the one that's the main that we look at when, you know in his faith in the end like he was the people that he's crazy yep. he died alone um, criminal. You know, dead criminal. so I guess the build up or the the explanation of like the arena and then ultimately like looking at Jesus and like what would Jesus do like, as far as he wasn't, you know, put on a pedestal, he was, you know, murdered as a criminal.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So. He was also judged by the church of the time as being a glutton, yeah. a wine bubber, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners.
2: So it's like how we, kind of like tying it to like how we build up Jesus to be this, I don't know, the Christology that mm-hmm. we decide this is who Jesus is because we make it this way. Right. When it's like, when we're break it down. And I like that. That makes sense. because mm-hmm. yeah, there's a church of today. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and people have said this, but they don't really mean it. It's like, what would happen if Jesus walked into a church now? Like, well, would we even... You know, who would accept him? Who would would invite him in? If you think about the church then, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they saw him as a glutton, a drunkard, and somebody who hung out with the wrong crowd. So
0: how many churches wouldn't accept somebody like that in? Especially how many churches would even let a person like that teach in their church? I mean, most churches, the most evangelical churches, if they even know you drink, much less believe you're a drunkard, they're going to let you speak in their church. Most of them are gluttons, so that wouldn't be a problem, but having the wrong, having the wrong connections and friends and them seeing you with people like that um, probably would exclude you from even being able to speak there. Now, I've heard that, that analogy used in
2: different places and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you wouldn't let him speak there, why are you bringing this up? <laughs> I don't even You're talk right about yourself. You know, i bring it up? Mm-hmm. I like how you um, took it down to the bare bones of what really matters, and, like the faith and the two dudes on the cross. And because there's just so many, even doing evangelism, there's so many thoughts, like Martha's referring, like uh, whatever we bring to where we're at that get in the way or even people that we know or we're at work or this is impossible or forget it or I don't know
0: Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny because Kayla's uh, been writing me because some of the girls she's reaching out to for kinship they're just, they're just fucking with her. They're fucking with her. They're asking her questions uh, and they're she doesn't know this and most people wouldn't but they're just famous questions to fuck with Christians and so and I know they're just fucking with her but you know she's kind of simple like with her faith and stuff so she doesn't see it as that she's asking me how to answer it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and uh you know rather than just say fuck you uh, it would be you know this is how I would answer it or whatever but when it comes right down to it there's a real simplicity and I'm like, like I can answer these questions literally or I told her you can answer them through the foundational teachings one or the other. Mm-hmm. And you take it back to a simple faith. Take it back to a relationship with God. Take it back to knowing God personally. Mm. That's it. These questions are meaningless. Most of them. Mm-hmm. Meaningless. Just fucking meaningless. So. I
2: like what you said about um, Jesus, who he is today. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a mental check for me, like, uh, I I think about Jesus too much as who he was in the Gospels or whatever, just right. focusing on his life then. So i right. fucking like thinking about what he's doing right now, uh, why he did that or yeah. right now, what's happening
0: right now. So it's right. Yeah, cuddly kid. Jesus, yeah. Little yeah, oh, Jesus Bear. Jesus Bear. Oh, he's so cute. I probably just
1: see him. An angel, like a ninja warrior angel. Yeah, like um, Jesus, ninja warrior. That's uh, what like to say. All I did think of him like as a little baby, you know, and golden a <laughs> <baby. laughs> little fleece, golden fleece
0: blanket, you know, a little baby Jesus, little ghost little, little baby God, ghost, ghost diapers, baby <Ninja> Ninja Warrior is good. I like to think of Jesus as leading a choir. Uh, an, uh, angel choir? an angel Pat choir. An choir. A letter skater. And. Alright. That's, that's uh, Thanks for. Uh, I just thank you for. Uh, speaking to us tonight. I pray that we'd be able to apply. Some of the things that. Uh, we heard, and I pray you challenge us. I pray you would uh, really take some of the truth and put it right onto our heart and, and let it sink deep into our spirit. I pray you change our minds, uh, where
1: they need to be changed, uh, and pray we just change the way we see things, our perspectives, and uh, even our vision of
0: you and ourselves, uh, we'd have something greater. I pray you activate faith in each one of us, a uh, bigger faith, God. Bigger faith, seated with you in heavenly places, kind of faith. for us in Jesus' name,
1: Amen. 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 Amen.